Hi, I'm Darren Peppard. Welcome to the Leaning into Leadership podcast, the podcast dedicated to today's hardworking leader. Join me every Sunday for leadership insight, inspiration, and a little pep talk to keep you rolling down your road to awesome. Hey, everybody. Welcome into this week's episode of the Leaning Into Leadership podcast. My guest on the show today is Angela Myers, and I got to be straight with you. I am so honored with all of the guests that I have had on this podcast. It is so cool to get to meet so many incredible people and to share my conversations that I get to have with them with all of you. But this one was special. Angela Myers is somebody who has absolutely inspired me for years. And to get to sit down and have this conversation and talk about leadership, just talk about being human beings and talking about how truly every individual matters was a very special moment for me. I'm excited for you to listen to this conversation. Angela is an incredible human being. If you don't already follow her, make sure you check out everything about her. When you read her bio, you'll see words like leader, visionary, entrepreneur, disruptor, change maker. She more than embodies these things. She's been doing this work for over 31 years. She's taught at every grade level from grade school to graduate. She's consulted with companies and brands all over the world. But she's just so down to earth, so genuine, and just so courageous in everything that she does. I truly loved this conversation. I know you're going to as well. I'm kind of gushing. I'm kind of fanboying. I can't believe I just used that word, but I'm going to leave it in for you because I'm such a fan of Angela Myers, and I know you will be too, and you're going to hear that conversation right on the other side of these messages, including a message from our sponsor for today's episode, Peer Driven PD. Hey, leaders. You know, teachers and administrators don't always see eye to eye. So it might surprise you that over 86% of teachers and administrators agree that we need more full-time classroom teachers leading our professional development. That's where my friends at Peer Driven PD come in. Peer Driven PD finds some of the best teachers in the country and documents their instructional strategies that work in real classrooms every day, and then they make the content available to schools everywhere. It's kind of like a master class, but for teachers. Imagine that. Your teachers are learning from other amazing teachers who, just like them, are gifted and passionate about driving student achievement. And if you've got your own superstar teachers who deserve some exposure, Peer Driven PD will visit your campus and film your own teachers doing what they do best and share it on the platform for their colleagues and everyone else to see. What a huge morale boost that can be for a district. And just so you know, Mike Alpert, who's the company's founder, has been a guest on this very podcast. Check out episode 49. Mike's a former teacher and administrator who has worked with schools from coast to coast. He really understands the need for engaging PD that teachers will appreciate. Look, I've seen this work firsthand. It's unique, it's interesting, and it's just what you need if your teachers want more out of their professional development. Visit PeerDrivenPD.com to request a quote. Tell them the Leaning Into Leadership podcast sent you, and they'll give you a free trial access so you can check out all of their content and decide for yourself. As well, they'll give you an additional 10% off your first year's subscription simply for mentioning the Leaning Into Leadership podcast. Go to PeerDrivenPD.com today. Again, that's PeerDrivenPD.com. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. 
Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. Now let's get on to the episode. Joining me on Leaning Into Leadership today, Angela Myers. I I can't even begin to put into words like how stoked I am to have this conversation with you today. Thank you so much for joining me. Welcome in, my friend. Oh my gosh, I feel exactly the same. It is like, I it's crazy. I just miss in-person stuff, but it is great to do this and connect. And I'm just, I just want to say, I'm so proud of you. I just have to say that watching Aww. you on this road to awesome, it's so, it's just inspiring because I've seen the journey. And then I know how many new leaders you're inspiring as well. So I just want to tell you that you matter and I'm really proud of you. Oh, <laughs> that just, that warms my heart. I love that. That's wonderful. Thank you so much. Um, I really need it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, you've been out there blazing a trail for, for a lot of us. And that's, I mean, that, that's part of why I'm just like so stoked to have this conversation with you. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting too, because you and I have been connected for a long time. Oh my gosh. And really until recently, we, we really haven't talked until, until recently, you know, and now obviously we're connected in a couple of different ways. So it's kind of cool. It is very cool. It is really, it just shows that even if you're not even in direct conversation with people, how people can be mentors and models and inspire and, and you grow in appreciation of others because you're learning from them. And then when you get to talk to them, it's just really, really special. So I, I feel like this is very special. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's awesome. So uh, just really quick, maybe for, for those of my audience who don't know who you are, I doubt there's few, yeah. but, uh, yeah. you know, anyway, yeah, give them, give them just, you know, a little, whatever you want to tell them about who you are. That's a really, incredibly, that's a really hard question. So over COVID, I made up a new name for myself because I, I moved between vortexes of, you know, social psychology and neuroscience and business and industry and education. And so I, I named myself a humanologist. And what that means in my view is that I study human behavior in all contexts. So both individual and systems level human behavior. And I pull on all the science, all the sciences. So mostly my science, neuroscience and linguistics, but also looking at it from sociology and anthropology and psychology. Um, I think just studying the patterns of human behavior is so so oh gosh there's no word for it like not only inspiring and intriguing but it's so informative and i think when we talk about data in education it frustrates me a little bit because it isn't data on human behavior it's data possibly on the outcome or the product of human behavior but that doesn't give us insight into how do we exceed that behavior how do we um, prevent certain elements of that behavior how do we expand and nurture the behaviors that we want because we have the science, but we don't use it. Where in business and industry, that's all they use. Everything is about customer experience, customer service, customer um, insight, all of that R&D, um, because that business and industry knows that their, their being, their existing depends on how customers feel about them. So I'll just share one interesting, this is just some new data, but Yale Center for Education or Center for, I don't even know if it was just in education, they had done a survey post-COVID of six to 12th graders, 21,000 of them. And I put the survey results in a word bubble. I know we're on audio, but I want you to just imagine this word bubble. And they asked kids to describe in one word their experience of school. 
So the keyword there is experience. So when you put all those words in there, what do you think popped up? What do you think was the biggest word on the word bubble? Wow. Um, for, so this is students. Yeah. So um, I'm going to say boring. Mm, that was huge. That was a huge, huge word on there. But this is actually an even more concerning word than boring. It was irrelevancy. Irrelevancy. Oh, wow. Irrelevancy. And so when I shared that with leaders a couple of weeks ago, they were like, oh, we this is why we've got to have technology. This is why we have to have curriculum. This is why, you know, we need to, you know, do PD. And I'm like, you're this isn't how they meant. They didn't mean irrelevancy in terms of content or in terms of um, strategies or training or technology. They feel irrelevant in school. They feel invisible. They feel marginalized. They feel like if I didn't show up, nobody would even notice. And we've got to take that kind of human data really serious. It is not a nicety for a human being to feel seen and valued and essential. It is an absolute necessity. And to me, it is our greatest leadership challenge. Oh, without question. Uh, you know, I was just in New York this this past week uh, at the New yeah. York Superintendents Conference and um, had a handful of conversations with people. Uh, you know, one of the things I talk about all the time is that, you know, no matter what um, it is that we do in education, we're we're in the people business. And and to be honest with you, I mean, in leadership, you're you're in the human yeah. business. Period. I Absolutely. mean, your your job is Absolutely. to you know is, is to compel behavior. You know, and, right. and ideally, it's right. to, it's to exactly. compel you know, successful behavior, you know, behavior exactly. that leads to positive outcomes. And, um, you know, I mean, you, you said it really well with, you know, seen and, and, and valued. I mean, for Absolutely. me, it's the four I always use are, you know, seen, heard, valued, and trusted. And Absolutely. if we're not going to do that with our kids, Absolutely. you know, that's a big challenge. And, and so I was having this conversation well, with, with a handful of superintendents. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's, yep. that's where my conversation with this group went was, you know, if we're not going to model for our adults that we see them, we hear them, we value them, and we trust them, there's no way in the world we can expect them to do that for kids. Absolutely, Absolutely. no way. Um, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. So a humanologist. I mean, I'm, I'm just I I'm in love with that word. It, it's so shirt. cool. It is now. Well, it so, now. you know, yes, we it's probably going to end up being the title of this episode. So there you go. <laughs> if it's not you know, a word, then... I'm guilty of using a non-word for a title, then that's that's what we're going to do. So I'm curious. I'm, I'm really curious. So really looking at human behavior. Yeah. And I don't want to chase this too far, but it, but it just, it crossed my mind when you were talking. Yeah. And I'm, I'm really interested in maybe some overarching things related to human behavior post-pandemic. You know, uh, any like overarching behavior changes. I mean, to me, we all seem to be a little bit more, I don't know, um, self-aware, but at the same time, outwardly not. not. <laughs> I, I want to say jerks, but that's not that's not a, a fair way to say that. But um, I don't know. I'm curious. What? So what I've been doing a lot. One? I've been researching this body of research uh, around mattering, around well-being for almost two decades. So it was really intriguing following it. In a way, I looked at COVID as a gift because finally I, it brought to the global systemic attention of our humanity how vulnerable we are and the things that we missed when we weren't together. 
it showed us, you know, absolutely. It didn't show us at the individual level. It showed us at the collective level how much we needed to be seen and heard and valued and around other people. And that that, that affected every relationship. It affected every aspect of our well-being. So, um, and I look at well-being not as the absence of stress, but as the presence of these, these conditions. And these conditions are human conditions beyond food, water, shelter, and air. We need to be seen, valued, essential, and heard. So when those were taken away from us, I thought, oh my gosh, after the pandemic, we are going to come back new human beings because we were clearly changed at every level when those were taken away. And, it, and, and maybe they weren't there. Those conditions weren't there in the way that we saw them. So we saw this trend in the workforce. In the first phase of this trend, it was called um, the Great Resignation. When, when work opened up and everybody was welcome back, people really took, took a deep dive into those existential questions. Like, why do I exist and do I matter? And is this work that I'm doing, does that even matter? And so it was a really huge wave of people saying, you know what, I'll drive an Uber because I get to be with my family. I am choosing fulfillment over, over like financial success. I'll take something less than so that I can, I can live a joyful, content, fulfilled life. Yeah. And then well, yeah, it's like, when, it's like our priority shifted right there, right? Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So you would think when humanity's priorities shifted, really, there's been nothing like this in my lifetime that has brought these issues to the forefront like the pandemic did. So you would think all businesses would shift and schools would shift and some did and many didn't. Yeah. And so it was, it's been a stunning, stunning phenomenon. So businesses that didn't take action and prioritize human experience over service, because we can provide a service for somebody, but that is different than providing them with a, a, a human experience that is lasting and trusting and touching. So then when people decided, wow, my work is not doing anything and I can't afford to quit, so I'm going to do a quiet quit. And so that was the second phase of quiet quitting. I heard yesterday um, there was an article possibly in the Wall Street Journal or some podcast that I was listening to that the next phase is, well, they're not getting that I'm quiet quitting, so I'm going to do minimal Monday. So now there's a whole whole body of people that I'm going to show up and do the minimum because I'm not valued at my maximum. And so you've got all these major trends that are affecting us. And you would think this is the, the most urgent thing on the forefront of every educational leader in our community. We're not just talking about a service that provides a good hotel stay or a good stay at, you know, or a good, I don't know, spa day. We're talking about kids' souls, literally, their lives, their the impact that school experience can have isn't just about a grade level. It is about human beings being affected for the rest of their life. We can look back centuries, we can look back decades and say, you know, totality, school was awful for me or school was wonderful for me, or I can barely point to one teacher or one class that actually looked at me and treated me like a human being. It's yeah. discerning that it isn't. It's not at the forefront of educational conversation. So this is why we no, need leadership. No, unfortunately. Well, exactly. Leadership. And, you know, 
it, it's been so interesting to see, you know, how things have played out in the educational leadership space. Um, and I yeah. think a, a big part of it begins as we found our way out. Um, you know, I, I was a superintendent during that time. And, yeah. you know, yeah. at, at first, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, there were conversations with boards and that kind of stuff. But but some superintendents had to make some decisions now. And, and myself yes. and the yeah. other superintendent in my county, county there in Colorado – um, it was, no, we're shutting her down right now, yeah. you know, for the next right. three weeks, that's what we're going to do. And then ultimately, of course, it was the rest of the school year, but um, it wasn't just those decisions. It was then the yeah. trickle down that happened after that, yeah. where in many cases, boards started to started to shift and mm-hmm. maybe take on power that wasn't really theirs to begin with mm-hmm. um, or began to instead of working collaboratively, just just say, here's what we're going to do, you know, and right. across the country, we, we saw this. Yeah. Um, it, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't a great resignation. It was a great firing Oof. of superintendents uh, across the country. And, and, and in essence, it was the, just those individuals became the face of COVID is really all right. that was. Right. But, but then that has led to this trickle down, uh, one of fear of fear of school boards for school leaders. Yeah. And yep. And like this rapid, let's get back to where we were. Let's get back to normal, air yeah. quotes. And that meant test scores. That meant, you know, let's make sure that we're putting the right curriculum in front of our kids. And then now these, all of these different outside political pressures, you know, yep. from special interest groups and, yep. you know, some groups that, I, in my opinion, are trying to pull education as far backwards as possible. Yes. Yes. Um you know, it's it's really interesting for school leaders right now. And it's a super big challenge because when I talk with them one-on-one, they know they need to prioritize their people. Yes. However. But, however. Yeah. I mean, right now they're, they're getting pressure from so many different directions yes. that it's difficult for them to do that. So, I mean, Absolutely. I know what I'm saying to them. I'm curious. What are you saying to them? The exact same thing. So when we look at, so I try to take ideology out of it, which is why biology always trumps ideology. So if you just speak about human behavior, going back to what you were talking about, what human behavior do you want to advance or what human behavior or experience is existing right now and really dig down into that? Because when you look at like people like organizations, big brands that have really taken this on as a force, um, there there's no like secret playbook they open it up whether you look at starbucks or you look at disney or you look at um zappos or you look at you know all of the big brands you know that that really took this science to heart like to the molecular level that you it, it comes down to a leadership decision it comes down to you know it's just and yet i understand their struggle but it comes down to you're not going to get what you want if you ignore this biology. I say in, in like humanologist terms, secure the heart or you do not have a shot at their brains or their business. That is biology. That is not ideology. So if you have people coming to work at, at any point in the day, whether it's a teacher, whether it's your frontline staff, whether it's your lunch staff or your students, and they don't feel seen or heard or valued or essential, you are not going to get the behavior 
that you are seeking. You might get temporary band-aids and you might have moments, but you, you are not going to have the, the end result that you think because all of those other things are temporary if you do not address the biology. These are not niceties. These are essentials. And I think it is, I, I have not walked in the feet uh, or walked in the shoes of a superintendent. And I can only imagine from working with them what they're getting. But I think if you look at what it takes to make a human being feel these things, it doesn't take very much. It doesn't take a program. It, so it, it cracks me up. These SEL 100%. programs are cracks me up. It just is stunning. It's a billion dollar industry. Just like we put all this money into bullying. We put all this money into everything thinking a program is going to do this. A program is not going to do this. People are going to do this. This is people work from the inside out. So doing small, small things. So I have a framework that I share with leaders. I'm happy to share it with you guys today, but I don't know if I have time. Do I have time? Sure. Yeah, go for it. Okay. So this is a biological framework, and it's based on the principles that scientists call primacy and recency. So when you record or in your, in your brain, in your heart, in your mind, the experience of something, no matter if it's good or bad, what influences that experience most are the peak moments, the first seconds of an experience and the last seconds of an experience. Everything in the middle, unless something unique happened, is pruned out of your brain. So you are not recording a moment to moment idea. So if, even if you go to Disney World and you ask somebody like, how was that experience? And they're like, it was amazing, it was amazing. Well, what happened at 1042 on Tuesday while you were there? You cannot even get that information, gather that information from the brain because we biologically process and we put away experience based on the totality of how we feel. So if schools wanted to completely transform the culture, they need to really focus on the first two to 20 seconds of any interaction. So that means the first two to 20 seconds of a parent walking in to the school, interacting with whatever staff, the first two to 20 seconds of class when the students walk in, the first two to 20 seconds of a staff meeting. So it doesn't matter the duration, but if we focus on how we greet people and how we leave people, Really, what we do in the middle is very nominal. Literally, people are are going to walk away and say, school was extraordinary and I want to run back tomorrow or school was not. <laughs> and it's there's very little variance biologically in the middle. Dan and Chip Heath have an incredible book on this called Peak Moments. That if we look at like, this is what I share with parents as well. Even though you're super busy in the day and you cannot make every minute matter there are certain moments that matter most to the brain. And so the moment you greet your child in the morning when they wake up and the moment you leave them right before they go to bed, if you can focus and literally it's a matter of seconds. They're even estimating, and Malcolm Gladwell said three seconds. There's even research that it is, the neurologists call this hijacking the amygdala. We can do this in a matter of milliseconds, but it's gotta be intentional. So it's not accidental that you walk into Disney and are willing to spend hundreds of dollars to feel magical. It's not accidental that that Starbucks charges $8 for a really bad cup of coffee and you still go there when Dunkin' Donuts is right next door. We, we internally, subconsciously um, open up the rest of our minds, our frontal low, when our heart is secure. 
So we don't even know what's happening. So schools can do that. Schools can hijack the amygdala in the same way that that big industry and big business and successful um, successful companies have done this and they do it at scale if we pay attention to this science. So how you greet kids, how you meet kids. So there's one school that I've been working with in Texas and during the pandemic, that's all they implemented virtually and not virtually. They just did two. So the framework is two, five, two. So they just focused on the beginning of the school day and the end of the school day. And there's all these interviews of, you know, it feels like family. I can't wait to come back. I love this school. The teacher turnover um, has gone down to like less than 5%. Like it's complete transformation. And then the five in the middle is just bonus. So if you got the beginning and end, the five is really a personal challenge that came 33 years ago from my kindergartners. And they wanted to show me, they wanted to be noticed every single day for who they were, except they all wanted to be noticed at the same time. So I made this chart and I'm like, okay, you five on Monday can be awesome. And I will notice that. This is my promise to you. On Tuesday, you five can be, and I started keeping a notebook. And my commitment to them was I give five kids one minute each a day, which is five minutes out of my day, but I planned it. And what I promised the class was that by the end of the week, I will stand in your brilliance and I will give you a front row seat to that. I will notice and note what I admire about you, what I appreciate about you. I wasn't there to coach or to coddle or to correct. I simply wanted them to know who they were now mattered. And I wrote it in this notebook. And within about two weeks, kids started saying, you know, Mrs. Myers, Mrs. Myers, I know Darren, he did something amazing and he's Wednesday and it's not, he's not supposed to be awesome till Friday. I'm going to write it down in our notebook. So you don't, don't forget it. <laughs> and they started noticing each other and very slowly it changed the entire culture when you have a culture of mattering. And so I still, to this day, 33 years later, what I call notice and note the genius in my presence. And I am stunned still 33 years later that every day with grownups, it matters to them. So I do this thing on Twitter. I, you know, uh, twice a week, I'm like, notice, notice the genius in my presence. And I point out like, you know, here's somebody to notice. And it, it could be people that I have known for a decade or new people. They're like, Angela, thank you so much. Thank you so much. I feel so honored to be on this list. And I'm like, it, it shouldn't be a shock when people notice something amazing about somebody else. Or I do this on Twitter. I, it doesn't matter how you do it, but, but give yourself five minutes a day. Give yourself one minute a day and be specific about what matters about another human being in your presence. Give them a gift of your presence. So that's the framework. It sounds crazy, awesome, easy. Can you transform a school with all this stuff in you know, 20 to 40 seconds a day? And my answer is absolutely yes. And the biology backs it up. And if you don't believe me, try it out. Prove me wrong. Prove me wrong that if people walk in and they feel recognized and appreciated and noticed and valued and, and they leave feeling that same way, that every single metric that you take does not improve. Hey, leaders, let's talk about school culture and professional development. What if we stop telling teachers what to do and instead invite them to sit side by side with us to solve the challenges we're all faced with? I'm talking about difficult parents. I'm talking about blame, outside pressures, and disengaged learners. School culture is critical, and I've got the formula 
to help you build the culture where everyone feels seen, heard, valued, and trusted. No more boring PD. Let's have PD that inspires and empowers our staff and gets everyone working together toward a common mission. I look at what we do here at Road to Awesome as human development because this type of work, this type of learning, hey, it goes beyond the classroom. It goes beyond the parking lot, beyond the bus and the lunch line. This carries into your community. I was in a school district recently, and after the work was complete for the day, one of the district employees pulled me aside and said, Darren, we have to have you back again. This work is every bit as important as working on instructional strategies or diving into our data. We cannot forget the human side of our work, and that's what you brought today. Thank you. Hey, reach out to me today, and let's schedule a conversation for you to share your triumphs and your challenges. Hey, we're all in the people business, and here at Road to Awesome, we want to help you get the most out of your people. Email me at darren at roadtoawesome.net or go to roadtoawesome.net and hit the contact us button. And now, on with today's episode. So there's a uh, one additional piece that I want to add to that, or, or yeah, I guess to yeah. just build on. This is my yes yeah, and with that. Um, you know, I will echo what Angela is saying. And for those those who listen, you guys know how big I am on the culture and climate of a school and, yep. and the work that I've done in, in a couple of different places. And what it all comes back to, two, five, and two, is all about what are you looking for? It's all about your Absolutely. mindset. And Absolutely. you know, when, if you're looking for bad things, you can do two, five, two in negative, right? I mean, you could crush right. that. But if you're looking for the right things, I mean, when you talked about, you know, students started saying, hey, 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 guess what? You know, his day isn't here yet, but I'm going to write this down because because we got something good here. It's incredible that, um, and it's human nature, right? If we if we're focused on that, you know, I mean, I I, I use this this sometimes in some breakout sessions. If you're driving down the road, and and I tell you, hey, Angela, next time you're driving, count the number of red cars you see. Oh my God, you're going to see a million red cars. Yeah, and not. Because you're looking for it. Well, it's because you're looking for them, right. not because there's a million red cars. You just, Absolutely. you're looking for them. You know, I mean, I'm a Jeep guy. And, you know, I'll tell you what, before I bought my Jeep, and I've had my Jeep almost seven years, I never saw you Jeeps didn't on the notice road. any other Jeep? No, no. And, you know, and now, man, they're everywhere. And I, I, it's not because I'm a trendsetter. It's not like everybody said, you know, hey, Darren bought a Jeep. Let's go out and buy Jeeps. But everywhere I go, there they are. Because I'm you know, throwing the Jeep wave at all of them. So um, right. it's... It, so really, I mean, I love that two five two framework. I think that is so powerful because it no forces us. Just... Yeah, yeah, it forces us to really put the right mindset yeah. on what we're doing. And when we have the right mindset, oh my God, yes, could that change the culture of a school or change the culture of an office? Change the culture Absolutely. in your house. I mean, whatever it is, right? Yep. Oh, I and love that so much. You don't even have to say you matter. You don't even have to say that word. But we underestimate to our peril what the power of presence means to another human being. That's really all that framework encompasses. It, you cannot be present 24 hours a day, you know, every single minute for everything. But if you could select certain peak moments to be present at, and you could ensure, actually plan for being present during that, 
And I know it's a stretch. Like every day I stood out of, out of my classroom, my kindergarten classroom, I did the exact same thing at my university classrooms. I stood outside the door and I welcomed them presently as human beings. It sounds like a, such a simple thing. The hardest thing about making this make sense in education versus making this make sense in business is that education values complexity. It has been a part of our identity. It has been a part of what makes us feel powerful when we use multisyllabic words, when we have 77,000 binders, when we take 18 years to implement something based on 57 years of research. Like we dwell in complexity where the world invites and dwells and values simplicity. And I don't mean easy, I mean simplicity. They see it as an act of genius to take something very complex and make it simple. Einstein said that. So what they do is underestimate this simple framework. Common sense does not equal commonplace and common practice. And we write this off as common sense. Well, of course I say hi to my colleagues. Of course, if you really analyze the times that we are not present with one another, we would not be getting data of every shape and size that says people don't feel seen in schools teachers, staff, parents. So there is a perception gap. We perceive that we're doing this to other people. The difference in, in what we call heart share versus mind share and market share, the companies who have heart share have zero competition. They have zero budget into, not zero budget, but Starbucks doesn't market. If you look at Disney, doesn't market. So all of these other companies are fighting so hard, spending millions of, of dollars and time and energy into trying to show that they have a good service. Well, if you put your time and energy into providing an extraordinary human experience that ensures these conditions are met, that that human walks away, no matter what size or no matter what, what position or place they have, feeling like, you stopped and paused and were present for what they had to say, who they were, what they could contribute to you, and that you are better off because you encountered them. You can't fake this. You cannot outsource this. You can't dial it in. And AI cannot compete then. If you dehumanize, like it's sad that we have to fight for humanization in school. But that's what I've been fighting for with leaders. We have to stop about re stop talking about reforming education and talk about rehumanizing education. That is our pathway to transformation. And when you want to know how to rehumanize, you ask the humans that you lead and serve. Literally ask them, which is what I did. I asked 500,000 kids in my research eight years ago, what would make you run to school? And when I got answers back, like if somebody smiled at me, if somebody said my name, if somebody noticed something about me, if somebody remembered something special about me, all of those are human requests and I, they, they are invisible. We hide those. If we're hungry, we'll ask a stranger. If we're thirsty, we'll pause in the middle and, and get a drink. But for some reason, these human needs, if you're bigger than five, have become almost something that we've tolerated and tried to try to sustain but over time biology catches up you lose your essence when you are not acknowledged as when your dignity as a human being is not acknowledged 
And we've got to take that as serious as we take every other element and see what happens. And, and I think the biggest frustrating thing for me is that it takes no time. It takes no money. It takes a commitment to remaining human first, prioritizing human dignity over everything else. And I want to loop that back to to something that we were talking about a few minutes ago, that shift mm-hmm. in in the workforce, that shift where someone, uh, I'll probably get it wrong how you described it, but would rather go drive an Uber so they can be with their family than Absolutely. chase the corporate dream. Or, yep. you know what, I'll take less money or, you know, time at work or whatever the case may be in exchange for the time with my family because yeah. that it's it's almost like we went through this hard reset you know like yeah. um you know your computer crashes um yes yes it goes back to like it's factory default mode and it's like that's what happened to us yeah. and and in many ways you know you see it i read about it all the time yes. in you know in the business world there's this now this new shift to you know, how, how do we take care of our people? Um, you know, how do we make sure that, you know, if we put people before product, the product yeah. will take care of itself. But if we put product 100%. before people, it's not going to happen. And now you add, yeah. you add AI into that, which is a, another yeah. podcast for us, but you add AI into that. And if you are providing human experiences, you are secure because that is where AI can't compete. If you are working to deliver content and you want to stand on your laurels about the way you deliver content, that can be outsourced. That can be um, automated. And that makes us vulnerable. If you want to be indispensable to another human being, make sure that human being knows they matter to you. It's so simple, but it is incredibly complex to implement because we underestimate the power And yet we know the result of what happens when human beings, including ourselves, don't feel one or more of these things. It affects every single relationship. So if we're in a relationship with whether it's your own children, a spouse, your friends, your there's a deep level of soulful betrayal when another person doesn't see or hear you. And we we have the power because we have the science to show that this can be This can be impacted. It can be impacted in very small intentional actions if we take this job as leadership, as a leader, really seriously. And there's and I know you've you've talked about this. There is a difference between managing people and leading. And it's a really fine line. And we're not going to transform form education by managing people. We got to lead. We have to lead and we have to model how we wish them to engage. Because as you said earlier, it's going to trickle down. So when you have a teacher that is, which is the number one thing working with teachers, not, and this is pre-pandemic, all of my work with teachers, all of my work at schools, burnout, stress, feeling overwhelmed. I think COVID clearly exacerbated that, but They don't feel less. I can't remember the last time I've been with a group of teachers that are like, I run to school every day. I am so excited. No, they're, they're, we are hemorrhaging. We are hemorrhaging leaders. We are hemorrhaging teachers. Why is that? Because we're not taking care of their human needs. 
we're asking them to have this superpower when they are not feeling what we're asking all human beings to feel. We're not honoring their dignity. We're not trusting them. We're not hearing them. We're not, we're managing them. We're micromanaging them. We're scripting them. And if we free them and give them the chance to be human in front of their kids and honor that and celebrate that, we'll have whole entirely different classrooms. Absolutely. And imagine <laughs> that trickle down. Oh my God. I loved, I loved every second of that. Um, imagine the trickle down leaders Absolutely. leading Absolutely. their, their, their people as people Absolutely. imagine what's going to happen in the classrooms. I mean, you know, I, I, I know I've talked about this, not in this particular yeah. episode, but I've talked about it many, many times that it, when, when leaders and, and they're not being leaders in these situations, yeah. but when, when leaders, you know, choose, you know, punishment to gain compliance or some type of fear Absolutely. tactic or Absolutely. those types of things. People just, they, they withdraw, they clam up, they function just right. above the level of, you know, that which would get them punished. And they don't, they're not innovative. They don't take risks. They don't take chances, Absolutely. which means Absolutely. in the classroom, their kids don't take chances. Their kids don't take risk. Yeah. And we're, we're, ah, that's not learning folks. That's no, not so learning. And that's why I, I'm only going to touch this for a second because you're right. This is a whole other podcast. And I think we're, we'll, I'm going to loop we back here. We're going to do this. Podcast. We do. Yeah. We absolutely do. But, yeah. but you said something that, that I just, I want to just encapsulate that really quick that, um, you know, as long as you can be indispensable as a human, which means you see hear, and, you know, yep. value and trust them, then there's there's always that space for you right. and i hear okay. I, I, you know i just just talked to some okay, teachers in nevada a week ago yeah i mean just like holy cow you know well this chat gpt thing and blah 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 guys that's no different than you know None. the google argument from five years ago or eight years ago or whatever that was you know chat gpt is not going to touch their heart it will not it do doesn't that. have empathy that's right no no position there so absolutely focus on the human piece right we are in the That's people business sorry i can rant on that forever but i wanted to loop back to it. it was so good no that's common sense so that is my like my my final statement is common sense does not equal common practice so you've got to manage the perception gap and so there's a whole another spectrum of this many of the the times that i get called in to a to a district to a community to a city is when, and I, this is invisible, but um, they've had a tragic event. They've had a school shooting. They've had uh, a, a tremendous event that is weather related, or the majority of times they've had a rash of suicides. And so when you look at that and the data that's collected from these communities that I've worked with is that this, this one really significant uh, year that I've spent with the entire community from the hospitals to first responders to the schools um, was it was I think we surveyed 20,000 kids and they felt like they didn't matter. They felt like if I didn't share, they felt irrelevancy. And so when a human being feels irrelevant, like without them in the picture, if they didn't show up, no one would care. Nothing would run differently then there is no motivation. There's no motivation to do anything. And finally, when that happens over and over and over, it it is, it, yeah, it's horrible. The result is anything from apathy to agony. And so we've got to really look at that kind of data 
and understand that human beings are still suffering, even though the pandemic is over. Because pre-pandemic, the World Health Organization described insignificance as our single biggest global threat because it is invisible. And people are not going to stand up and say, I don't feel like I matter to the world. I don't feel like I'm being heard in this relationship. I don't feel like I'm being seen for who I am. So I try to mask this and mask that. At the core of all of those ailments and perils is a human being with those essential needs not being met. I just cannot emphasize this enough. And it's not a cute, warm, fuzzy thing. I'm not saying you matter because I want to inspire you. Um, and then just one quick case study. I just came from a week and a half residency where I've seen all the students from preschool all the way up to high school. And the only shift we made at this complex was how we greeted kids, literally. So they had a big truancy issue. They had um, struggling with parents, with getting them on time. Like, So that is the only intervention we did. We just did the two out of 252. I shared the 252, but system-wide, we just did the two. So every teacher, even the ones who like didn't want to, stood outside their classroom and greeted the kids. Every teacher used kids' names as often as they could. Every teacher made a point to just find a way where not only they saw kids, but kids saw each other. So we did, did a quick community circle, five minutes, one to five minutes in the morning. That's the only intervention we did in this turnaround complex. And so I got to go back um, six weeks later and see, I'm just like, I'm gonna cry, I swear, and see the transformation. I It is everywhere in the whole complex, in the whole school, it's on every wall. You can feel the difference when you walk in. And I think the biggest, you know, takeaway and shock from both the administrative team, the complex superintendent and the teachers was, I can't believe something so simple made such a huge difference because they said, yeah. I came to school different because kids look yes. at me different. And that's, that is like, I just, I just want to show like, you guys, this like, is so simple to implement. It's so minimal in terms of time and money and energy and effort, and it will fill you up with energy. The return on investment is massive. And it's it's sad that it takes so long, like that I struggle so much to convince education organizations of this. And I'm speaking to industry, like I just did a, um, a parts, a manufacturing and parts, a large organization. I just did um, Georgia Pacific, where they do all the paper towels and stuff. For, and yeah. I'm like, that's great that I'm making people that fulfill our paper towel shortage and our toilet paper to shortage feel amazing. But I'm like, I need educators to take this as seriously as business and industry takes this. It's just so powerful. You know, when when the transformation took place at the high school where oh, first yes. I was assistant principal and then high school yeah. or, and then high school principal, it, it was as simple as number one for me, because I can't change what other people do. I can change what I do. Right. Right. Number one, how am I going to show up? You know, am I going to yeah. show up and go look for bad things, or am I going to show up and be a positive influence and, and have a uh, positive impact on the life of a kid? And number two, uh, how do I show up? I started showing up at the door, front door, every single day, greeting kids by name, right. greeting my staff by name, right. greeting my bus drivers and parents. And I mean, before you knew it, more people were doing that. But yes. you know, yes. I mean, and, and it's, I, you know, a yeah. it yeah. is absolutely it is. You know, and that so is yeah. leadership. Yeah. 
That's leadership. That's not managing. That's leadership. Yeah. It is. Oh, my goodness. My gosh. You know, oh, my gosh. We could chase chase this forever, but um, let's do this. Let's let's, do an AI podcast because I We absolutely will. 100%. uh, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we absolutely do have to do that. So let, let's do this. So Angela, on the Leaning Into Leadership podcast, I always ask everybody the same final question, which is, how are you leaning into leadership? So Angela, how are you leaning into leadership? Every single day, literally, I think about doing something that's uncomfortable. It doesn't have to be massive. I think we confuse what courage in leadership means. Courage in leadership is not about the battle between courage and cowardice. It is the battle between between courage and comfortability. And you can be courageous or you can be comfortable, but you cannot be both. And so doing something every day that pushes you to your level of uncomfortability is the only way you're going to grow. And that is the only way you're going to grow your school. So AI is a perfect example. I, I, I'm a tech person from the humanity perspective. I, I follow tech trends and and looked at where the where the future, you know, leaders and learners are are moving in terms of business, industry, tech itself. And I've stayed attuned to those trends, but I haven't, that's not been my thing. My thing has been the human part. And so when all the AI stuff started, I was asked to do uh, an alpha beta test on a AI platform. And I'm like, all right, not my thing, but and then I'm just like. I, I feel the urgency to lead in that area. It is not my area. It is not my expertise, if that is such a thing anymore. But trying to pull into it from a human level and look at its impact on human behavior, its potential impact on human behavior, then I feel like I have a responsibility to lead in that and bring this human perspective. Um, but it is certainly uncomfortable because I'm meeting with engineers and scientists and and people that are way, way smarter than me. Like when they talk, I'm trying to use a translator just to understand like <laughs> their brain is different than mine. And yet it is important as a leader to, to not try to be the smartest person in the room, to get yourself in a room every single time with people who think different, who work different, who operate different and be uncomfortable that you don't, you know, that you don't know everything and that's okay because you're learning and you're growing. And so I think that's the most important trait for us in leadership is to be courageous. And that means embracing uncomfortability. Stop, stop running back. That's why when I hear, let's get back to normal. No, leaders do not push their staff and their students back to normal. Normal wasn't that great to begin with, but you don't grow by be, being back to normal. You don't ever, like there's no normal. We create a new normal because we create a different relationship with uncomfortability, every single act um, of leadership. And that starts with our own behavior. I just love that so very much. Um, we are definitely going to uh, have you back on the podcast very, very soon. We're going to have that AI conversation and we'll see where it goes from yes, there, just like uh, just like this conversation. Um, but, uh, oh, my goodness, my friend, Angela, thank you so much for being here on the You're Leaning so Into welcome. Leadership podcast. This was a blast. Yes, absolutely. It went so fast. And I'm just sending blessings oh. and, and big You Matter messages to all the superintendents, to all the leaders out there. They're has probably never been a harder time in history to lead and you sticking with it when so many are leaving. I just, my, 
my heart goes out to you. My hat is off to you. And I just want them to know that they matter as well. So thank you, my friend. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Just really quick, because I forgot to ask it. Um, people want to get in touch with you. I'm not going to say if, when they want to get in touch with you. How do they do it? <laughs> Honestly, it's Angela Myers on every platform, except TikTok, because I do not dance. You're welcome. <laughs> and if you my last name, just type in you matter and you'll get to all the stuff. And I'll put all that stuff in the show links as well so people can catch up with you. So, okay, hey, you matter, my friend. Thank you so much for being a part of the show. Yeah, absolutely. My honor. What a fantastic episode it was and an honor to sit down and have that conversation with Angela Myers. I promise, folks, I will have her back on the podcast and we will have that conversation about AI. I know she has some incredible insights there as well. But again, that was wonderful. I appreciate her being here. So much good stuff there. Uh, the biggest thing that stands out to me is just simply prioritizing the human experience. What an awesome conversation. Thank you again, Angela, for being on the podcast. And now it's time for a pep talk. On today's pep talk, I want to talk about creating the compelling vision. Last week on the blog, I shared a post where I was talking about the secret ingredient for PLC success. And what I was really getting at was not necessarily that PLCs all by themselves are magic, but rather it's about creating a compelling vision, about creating an environment and an atmosphere where everybody can see what that incredible new reality will look like. Whether that's through PLCs or project-based learning or whatever it is that you're trying to focus on, it's not necessarily about the initiative, but about the leadership. You as the leader, you need to create that compelling vision, something that everybody can see themselves playing a role in and that they feel a true desire to achieve. Three quick things to think about. One, speak its truth. Talk as frequently as you can about what that new reality will look like, how it will feel, and how it impacts everyone, not just a certain group. Number two, hear the words of others. You're going to hear some of the things that are part of that reality, that compelling vision that you're creating, but you need to listen just as much as you need to speak. And number three, live it out loud. Really live that compelling vision in everything that you do. Have it be part of every conversation. Have it be part of every meeting. Continue to share that vision and live it out loud for your people. That's my thoughts. Take it for what it's worth. Have an amazing week, and thank you for joining me here on Leaning into Leadership. Thank you for listening to the Leaning into Leadership podcast, brought to you by Road to Awesome. Don't forget, click subscribe, give a review, and share this with somebody who might also enjoy leaning into leadership.